This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Downey. This week's guest is U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Bilsack. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. Learn more at chsinc.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack next. In rural America, there are three things that never change. The land, the determination of the families that farm it, and the loyalty of their co-ops, which provide the markets, inputs, and agronomic expertise farmers and ranchers need to stay profitable. CHS, the nation's leading cooperative, is proud to connect member cooperatives and producers to the value of an energy, grains, and food company they own. To learn more, visit chsinc.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. In the twilight of his tenure at the helm of the USDA, the industry is taking yet another cyclical swing in farm income. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack acknowledges reduced farm income, lower land prices, and increased demand for government-secured farm loans. But he also sees reason for optimism in the agriculture industry. Look, Jeff, I think it's always a business that there's concern. Just because you don't have uh, control over Mother Nature, you don't have control over what happens in other parts of the world. Look, we've got great crops. We've had good yields the last couple of years, and so we have a surplus of crops. At the same time, we've got a world economy that isn't generating as much opportunity overseas as once was the case. So, yeah, we've got some difficulties. The dollar's strong, a weak global economy, surplus product, and, and frankly, some countries with non-science-based barriers that make it more competitive for us in terms of getting our products to market. So we have to be very vigilant. We have to be focused. Uh, but I'm still very optimistic about this uh, about this business. Uh, uh, fortunately, uh, farmers, when we had record prices, uh, were were smart enough to be able to save and put money aside to reduce debt. Uh, so our debt to asset ratio still uh, remains strong. Uh, we are seeing obviously at USDA an increase uh, interest in our loan programs, and we're doing everything we can to free up the resources that will allow us to meet the needs uh, that are out in the countryside, particularly for those younger farmers and the beginning farmers. Uh, And we're obviously looking for additional opportunities for markets. Um, You know, I think that's why trade becomes extremely important. Um, We've seen nearly a a trillion dollars in agricultural uh, export sales uh, since I've been secretary. That's a record. Uh, We are focused on more trade shows and opportunities to break down barriers, reopen closed markets, and obviously continue to make the case for expanded trade agreements. So all of that, I think, uh, uh, leaves me optimistic that while there may be some uh, challenges for many producers out there, we're going to be there to help them with a safety net uh, that was uh, set up by Congress. We're going to see much larger PLC and ARC payments. Uh, The dairy folks are getting uh, now $11 million or or more in in assistance. Uh, We're continuing to open up markets, the beef market opening up in Saudi Arabia. It's now for the first time uh, since 2003, back above uh, 2003 levels in terms of beef trade. Uh, We've maintained our poultry market, notwithstanding the AI incident last year. Uh, Our teams at USDA have worked hard to open up $20 billion in shipments that otherwise had been shut down because of SBS barriers uh, since since I became secretary. So uh, a lot of good things happening, uh, a lot of work to do, uh, and obviously we need to be consistently and constantly vigilant to look for new market opportunities. We do want to talk about trade in this conversation, but I'd like to stay in, in this vein for just a moment. There's some early talk about a new farm bill. 
And certainly, sir, you have spent more time at the helm of USDA than most other secretaries uh, who preceded you. After this time and seeing the cyclical swings that we have in the business, are, what would be your counsel to the agriculture committees and others who are talking about policy now? Well, my first counsel to anyone connected with agriculture is let's make sure that the 2018 Farm Bill conversation starts the right way, uh, which is what is the need as opposed to how much money are we going to save? I think the mistake that was made uh, in in uh, previous farm bills has been focusing on the dollar amount instead of on the need. Uh, when you basically go into discussions and say that you have to save $23 billion uh, in, in the farm bill, that puts you in a situation where you have to uh, pit uh, needs uh, against one another, uh, and it doesn't give you the opportunity to fully understand the extent uh, and the importance of rural America and the extent of need out there. Um, and so I think first and foremost, starting the conversation properly. And I think if you start that conversation properly, you're probably going to you're going to see the need for adjustments in some of the safety net programs. Uh, clearly, I think there's a need for on the dairy side uh, a better understanding of the regional differences in feed costs. Uh, on the uh, uh, cotton, obviously, uh, we saw an issue relative to, to oil seeds and and uh, the cotton market uh, that uh, needed a little bit of help. Um, and I think uh, people are, you know, will obviously be given the opportunity to rethink ARC and PLC decisions that they made in, in best of times. Will now have the experience of, of dealing with those programs uh, during more difficult times, uh, and that may require some adjustments. I'm pretty sure we're going to be spending more money on ARC and PLC payments than anybody expected and anticipated at the time this farm bill was established when we were looking at record high prices. So, you know, clearly there are going to have to be some adjustments. But let's start the conversation the right way which is what is the need out there and why is it important for not just farmers, not just rural America, but for all Americans uh, to have the kind of support for our producers because we are a food secure nation and we are safer and stronger because of that. Um, and we are a, a nation that enjoys uh, relatively uh, affordable food. Uh, we don't want to get to a circumstance and situation where food becomes something that yet again separates the haves with the have-nots. We certainly don't want to be in that position either. In your opinion, do farm and nutrition programs need to stay in the same bill? And what's the up or down of either option? Jeff, it's just, it's math, man. Rural America, 15% of the population. The farming population, less than 1% of the population. But we've got uh, a significant number of folks who are in need of various nutrition programs. And it's a good combination. It's a good, strong combination that makes sense to combine, in my view. When, when people say, well, you know, what's the, what do nutrition programs got to do with farmers? Well, farmers get 15, 16 cents of every food dollar that's spent in the grocery store. So if more people can spend money at the grocery store, that means that there's more market opportunity uh, and stronger markets for farmers. So that helps farmers. Uh, the political calculation is such that if you're trying to make the case to urban centers, suburban uh, uh, Congress mem members or senators from states that are predominantly urban and suburban, you've got to make the case that there's something in it for them. Now, the expansion of urban agriculture, uh, the local and food, regional food system, I think will strengthen uh, our efforts in terms of getting the votes in, in Congress. But it's about allies. It's about coalitions that make sense. And when you combine the nutrition world and the hunger coalition with the farm community, you've got a very powerful political coalition that eventually gets things done. And if, and if, you, if there's any question about that, take a look at where major legislative enactments have occurred in the last five or six years during this period of time when we've been gridlocked. The GMO labeling bill, the farm bill, 
the nutrition reauthorization uh, getting uh, through this, the Senate Ag Committee. All of that is a result of the, of the coalition, this bipartisan coalition that we now have the benefit of. And I think the mistake of separating, uh, I think you'll end up having an extremely difficult time getting a farm bill through if it doesn't include uh, nutrition. And, and frankly, you won't have as much of a difficult time getting nutrition programs through. The president has signed a biotech disclosure piece of legislation into law. So now, what is the most daunting challenge toward the USDA of writing regs to implement that law? And are there any thoughts then moving faster than 24 months? Well, look, we started uh, as soon as the bill was passed by the Congress, assuming the president was going to sign it. We established a work group uh, to basically look at this in the same way we did with the, with the farm bill. And people said that the implementation of the 2014 farm bill was one of the best uh, ever. Uh, there's a lot of work that has to be done here. Um, there are things that we will be doing right off the bat. We need to reaffirm this new law is consistent with uh, the National Organic Program. We need to make sure that FSIS uh, understands the need for a continuation of non-GMO labeling, which has been approved in the past. Uh, we created a, a process, uh, Jeff, where people can call in or email in their comments or concerns. We've already received over f uh, nearly 500 messages uh, of people who have opinions about this. We're going to have a series of public hearings probably later in the year to give people an opportunity to weigh in, uh, and we'll be able to uh, provide people with information, uh, updating uh, regular, on a regular basis. Uh, there's a website that's been set up at ams.usda.gov. Uh, that could provide assistance and help uh, and information. We need to make sure that this thing's budgeted properly uh, for implementation, uh, and then we need to make sure the study that's uh, looking at the effectiveness of disclosures takes into consideration uh, a variety of issues that are not going to be easy to, to, to solve, but must be solved in order for this uh, to work. Uh, I'm committed to getting this done. I'm committed to getting as much done and the foundation laid as 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 well as possible uh, before there's a transition to a new administration. Uh, we want to do as much of the heavy lifting here um, so the next administration gets a chance to really implement this thing in a proper way. It seems there are a lot of details that have to be ironed out, from uh, the label that would be on raw potatoes to that of a frozen casserole. There are a lot of challenges ahead for you. Well, there, <laughs> there are thousands and thousands and thousands of products. You've got to decide what's, for example, just to give you a couple of ideas here, you have to decide what, what's the threshold. You know, what percentage do you have to have in, a, in a, a product before it requires labeling? Is it 99%? Is it 98%? Is it 99.9%? What is the percentage for the threshold? Um, <clears throat> what's USDA's role? Does it approve a label in advance, or does it provide oversight once somebody labels and, and we come in and say, hey, you, you, you should have labeled or you didn't label, uh, is it an oversight responsibility or is it a pre-approval responsibility? What kind of record keeping are we going to require? What do we do for very, very, very small manufacturing and food processing operations? Uh, are there exemptions? Uh, international considerations. What does the rest of the world think about this? Uh, how it, could it potentially impact our ability to export or not? What is the relationship between what we do here at USDA and what FDA does and what USTR, our trade representative's office, is concerned about? So, yeah, there are a lot of issues that are resolved that have to be resolved. What is the, the language? Um, how is it consistent with process verification systems that are already in place? A, a lot of issues that have to be resolved, and so we set up this working group. 
this working group will go through all of these difficult issues, receive input from the public, receive input from experts, and they'll come to me and uh, future secretaries with a series of uh, decision memos, and we'll make decisions as best we can. The public will begin uh, given an opportunity to weigh in once we've made these decisions about whether we got it right, uh, mostly right or not right at all. Um, and, you know, there are times when we get it right, uh, there are times when we get it mostly right, and there are times when we maybe don't get it right. Um, and the public has the ability to, to weigh in. So uh, this is going to get be done. It's going to be done in a professional way. It's going to be done in a way that's going to uh, increase the, the, the opportunities for this to work to make sure that uh, it can withstand legal challenge, uh, which could potentially occur. So a lot of considerations. With QR codes as an option, does then access to broadband and even rural broadband in grocery stores become a secondary challenge? Well, that's part of it, uh, and, and we have to address the issue of what do you do for folks who don't have smartphone capacity? Uh, what, what do you do uh, for those folks? Do you have scanners in the grocery store? Uh, what other options are there? And that's why I think uh, Congress decided to give us flexibility uh, in terms of what, what would be required. Uh, we have to go through that process, and that's also keys, uh, sort of keys into the budget issue. Are there resources that would be made available for grocery stores, as we have with EPT machines, for example, with uh, the SNAP program? We help to finance uh, in in farmers' markets, for example, EPT machines, so that SNAP families could benefit from farmers' markets. Do we have that kind of responsibility here? Um, and if so, how do we how do we deal with that? So, yeah, these are all complications. These are all circumstances that have to be considered. Uh, and the reality is, and I think everybody has to understand, that this is an evolving process. This is the beginning, I think, of a new day um, in terms of labeling and in terms of information that consumers want and need and how they're going to access it and where, you know, what technology they have available to access it. Uh, and it's part of government having to be in a position to constantly evolve itself um, and constantly be sort of thinking about this uh, sort of in a cutting-edge way, which is why I made the case uh, early in this process that they, they needed to be thinking about a 21st century response to this issue, that they couldn't be stuck in the 20th century. And I think Congress, uh, for the most part, did a pretty good job getting it done. In the interest of time, I'm going to put two questions together here. What's the significance of global trade to the success of U.S. agriculture, and especially now, uh, as President Obama appears to be taking the next steps toward congressional approval of TPP. Some want that renegotiated, and some want to walk completely away immediately. 30% of all sales, 20% of all income for farmers and ranchers in this country is connected directly to trade. So when you ask the question how significant is trade, it's pretty doggone significant. When you look at the specific TPP agreement, you're looking at an emerging, expanding, incredibly uh, dynamic uh, market in Asia. Uh, where you're having a substantial increase in middle-class consumers who will be interested in purchasing American product. Virtually every study that I've seen talks about billions of dollars of additional opportunity for farmers and ranchers, additional income for farmers and ranchers in the, in the billions of dollars, additional jobs connected to the uh, ag exports. So it, it is extraordinarily important, and especially in a time when the dollar is strong. We have a, a weaker global economy in terms of where we have traditionally uh, sent our products, we have competition unlike any that we've ever had before, uh, with other countries becoming productive in terms of commodities anyway. So I think it's an extremely important component of the future of agriculture is markets. 
you know, if we just sell to ourselves, we represent 5% of the consuming public in the world today. Uh, we're going to have very limited opportunity if we decide all we're going to do is sell to Americans. Can we tweak the bill to satisfy Congress and potentially a new president? Well, uh, you know, you can't renegotiate because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a very complicated negotiation to begin with. It's thousands of pages and thousands of lines of negotiated text, and it's all kind of connected. You know, I think that there are ways in which you can reassure members of Congress. So, for example, one of the issues is uh, is on biologics and pharmaceuticals, making sure that people understand that the American law that provides for a certain period of time is not going to be changed or affected or impacted. You can do things in the financial services area. You can reassure people that while currency manipulation was not part of the agreement per se, there was a side process uh, which we are currently using uh, to hold people accountable. You can reassure people on some of the concerns that they have, and you can educate people on what the what the TPP agreement is and what it isn't. Um, I think there's a, a tendency to sort of exaggerate the, some of the impacts uh, of negative impacts of um, a process for resolving trade disputes, um, and I think it's important for us to continue to educate members of Congress about the impact it's going to have on people, on jobs, on the farming economy, and making sure that folks understand and appreciate what it is and what it isn't. Secretary Vilsack, we want to thank you very much, first of all, for your service to this industry, and second of all, for spending time with us here again on Open Mic. Sir, it is Open Mic, and you have an open forum. Hey, listen, Jeff, I just want to express my thanks. Uh, I've had an incredible opportunity to serve rural America, the farmers and ranchers of this country in this job. Uh, it is a great job. It's the best job I've ever had. Uh, I've loved every minute of it. There are challenges, but I am incredibly optimistic and hopeful about the future in agriculture. Uh, we have the world's best farmers. We have the world's best product. I think we just need to make sure that we don't close ourselves to the opportunities that exist uh, here and, and around the world. I see a greater diversity in agriculture than seven years ago, and, and I think that's a plus. Uh, diversity in terms of size, in, t in terms of the nature of farmers, in terms of the products that we're, we're producing. Um, I see an engaged uh, consuming public uh, that is beginning to appreciate farmers and, and what they do and what they mean to the country. And so it's been, a, it's been an incredible experience, and uh, we're going to continue to work hard at, right up until January 20th. Our thanks to USDA Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc., CHS is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. Learn more at chsinc.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.